Let's begin our sermon this morning with prayer. We pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for setting your word before us today. Please send now your Holy Spirit to each one of us to refresh us in our personal faith, to encourage us for living in this world, and to give us hope and joy with our outlook for the future. Please bless our sermon time, richly bless our study of your word this morning. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. A teddy bear is a pretty harmless toy. Would you agree? Like, it's so soft and fuzzy that you really can't hurt yourself playing with a teddy bear. Like, a teddy bear is so safe that you could put it into a baby's little crib or into the stroller and, like, the baby would be just fine. Uh, one might say, if one wanted to, that a teddy bear is all snuggles, no struggles. All happiness, no hurt. It's pretty easy to embrace a teddy bear. In fact, sometimes it's hard to not embrace a teddy bear, which is so soft and, and cuddly. Now, during this uh, epiphany season of the church here, we've been moving through this, this series where we are in search of the real Jesus, right? We've been going through one Jesus after the other, and we've gone through these different counterfeit versions of Jesus. We're trying to find the real Jesus. So today, the last Sunday in the series, I'd like to introduce you to one final candidate, Teddy Bear Jesus. Is it possible? Could it be that this is the very Jesus that we've been looking for? Well, you've got to admit there's some pretty compelling things about a teddy bear Jesus. Let's talk about what we mean by that. There would be some pretty compelling things about a Jesus whose theme is all snuggles, no struggles, all happiness, no hurt. A Jesus whose goal is to make you as comfortable and happy as possible and give you as pleasant of a life as possible. A Jesus who wants you to be prosperous and wealthy and he wants you to see all your dreams come true. It'd be pretty easy to embrace a Jesus like that. Who wouldn't want to embrace a Jesus like that? The teddy bear Jesus, who's here to give you a happy life. That's what the crowds wanted. Remember after Jesus fed the 5,000 people out of one kid's lunchbox? Amazing miracle. Here's another time. Jesus fed 4,000 more people out of another kid's lunchbox. Another miracle. And the crowds were so excited about Jesus that you remember what it says? They wanted to make him king by force. They were ready to crown Jesus king. Because who doesn't want a king who's going to cut your grocery budget and make your life easy and comfortable and provide you with all the free food that you want? This is also the kind of Jesus that the disciples wanted at times. You know, at various points within the Gospels, you can see Jesus' disciples are getting all excited about his kingdom. If they knew he's going to set up his kingdom, they thought it's going to be a kingdom here on earth, and it was going to be wonderful. They didn't know all the details of Jesus' kingdom yet. They didn't know who was going to sit on his right and who was going to sit on his left. But they had the idea Jesus was going to set up an amazing earthly kingdom and they would get to be a part of it. And who wouldn't want to be a part of a kingdom that is going to make your life easier and more comfortable? Teddy bear Jesus, if you will. But then we get to Mark chapter 8 and Jesus starts talking in a very un-teddy bear-like fashion. And here is what we read. 
He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That doesn't sound so cute and fuzzy, does it? That doesn't sound so comfortable anymore. That doesn't sound very appealing. And Peter didn't think so either, and so he tried to rebuke Jesus. He tried to challenge him. We read from a different gospel, and here's what Peter said. He said, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. But then Jesus responded with some extremely strong words directed at Peter, and here's what Jesus said. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was shocked. Like, he wasn't trying to be the voice of Satan. He wasn't trying to tempt Jesus to do something wrong. He's just trying to stand up for his friend, he thought. But Jesus wasn't done. Now, it wasn't just a conversation with him and Peter. It says, now Jesus called the whole crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Oh, so now you can just feel the enthusiasm sinking out of the crowd as, as teddy bear Jesus starts to slip away. And they realize that this teddy bear Jesus has been an illusion the whole time. The real Jesus is talking about things that are considerably less warm and fuzzy and comfortable. The real Jesus is talking about how he is willing to embrace suffering and pain and death. The real Jesus is not afraid to challenge his disciples and to tell them something that hurts, even though it's something that they need to hear. The real Jesus even encourages all of his followers that they are going to need to embrace their pain and suffering as well if they want to follow him. In fact, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Well, that's not very warm and fuzzy at all. That doesn't sound very appealing at all from a certain point of view. It turns out that Jesus' goal is not to create a comfortable, happy life. Not for himself, not for his disciples, and not for you and me either. And a Jesus who talks like that is maybe not so easy to embrace. Right? Some challenging words. Why are Jesus' words so challenging? Well, it's because as human beings, if we're being honest, uh, we all want to have a comfortable, happy, more pleasant life in this world. We don't have to pretend that we don't. I know that that's what I want. I would love to have a happier and better and, and easier life all the time. You know, I think as human beings, we kind of have these two fundamental assumptions. The first one is, if something causes me suffering, it's probably bad. The other one is, if something brings me pleasure, it's probably good. This is how we think, even as Christians. So now, when suffering enters into our life, we find ourselves faced with a problem. When suffering enters into our life, we cannot help but feel that something is deeply wrong. And what happened? What went wrong? Is it something that we did? Is it something that we said or thought? Did we not have a strong enough faith? Did we offend God in some way? When suffering comes specifically into your life or into my life, we start to think, what did I do? 
that God gave me this problem, and it's not a problem that he gave to other people. All of this goes to say, when suffering comes into our life, we tend to feel like we are far away from God. Maybe you have felt that way before in your life. Maybe you feel that way right now. But does suffering actually mean that we are far away from God? Actually, the Bible teaches us that kind of the opposite is true. It was through suffering that God came close to us. The prophet Isaiah talked about that 700 years before it happened. He wrote about Jesus coming to the world, and he said that when God becomes a man, he is going to be despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. When God came into the world as a man, he was going to be a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And that was for a reason. It's because suffering and pain are part of all of our life in this deeply sin-broken world. You live in this world, for any amount of time, you're going to get suffering and pain all over you. And so as God reached down into this world, he embraced his own suffering because that was a key connection point between him and us. Suffering brought God closer. So, when you're a pastor, you get a sermon text, you're thinking about it during the week, you're outlining your sermon, and then you just end up finding things that apply so specifically to what you're going to talk about on Sunday. And this happened to me this week. Um, this is very random. I was reading this uh, entry from an advice column. You know what an advice column is. Right? It's where people write in with their questions, Dear whoever, and then the person is saying, this is going on with my kids, this is what's going on with my marriage, I have these problems and questions. Sincerely, frustrated mom. And then the uh, columnist will say, dear frustrated mom, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm hearing, you should do this and this, and then here's my advice. Right? So it's this kind of advice column that people write into. I should also mention that the columnist is not a Christian. In her own words, she specifically said she does not believe in God at all. So anyway, I happen to be reading this column. And the uh, question that a person had asked is they, they had a family member that had gotten into a terrible health issue that was just hard to see, hard to watch, their family member being so sick. And it was leading them to ask this question. If there's really a God, how could he allow something this terrible to happen to my daughter, is what it was. And, like, I want to believe in God, but it's hard for me to believe in a God who would let something like this happen in my family. That was the question. So I was then amazed at how this uh, non-Christian columnist responded. I mean, first she acknowledged the pain and suffering, and she said, I've been up all night thinking about this. And then she said, all right, here's the deal. It is not logical to come to a conclusion about God's existence simply based on what's happening in your life. Here's how she put it. When we ask these kinds of questions, we're ignoring the fact that awful things happen to all kinds of people every day. The only different thing here is that now the awful stuff is happening to you. So if you want to find spiritual comfort, you're going to need to find a better approach than just saying, I'm only going to believe in a God who gives me what I want. Well, that's pretty insightful, coming from a columnist who says she's not a Christian and doesn't believe in God herself. I appreciate that defense of God's existence. But now she got to her second point, and this was really the main point. To make her second point, she told a story. She said there was a year when she took her young children to go see a Christmas pageant, which is fascinating 
because she's not a Christian. But she said she wanted to educate her kids. She wanted them to understand that there's more behind Christmas than Santa Claus and cookies and presents. She wanted them to at least see some of these spiritual things that people believe around Christmas. So she took her kids to a Christmas pageant and they learned about Jesus getting born. Well then, she said, there were unexpected consequences. And the unexpected consequences were her kids became obsessed with Jesus. They started asking her all kinds of questions about Jesus. They wanted to know all about his life and especially they wanted to know all about his death. The columnist writes, my kids were obsessed with Jesus' suffering. They're continually asking questions about Jesus like ten times a day, and they're all questions about his crucifixion. She said, my kids were asking questions like these. Did Jesus cry when the nails went in his hands? Did Jesus need stitches when the crown of thorns poked into his head? Didn't it hurt his feelings? when all those people were making fun of him. And finally, her five-year-old daughter had asked, where was Jesus' mommy while all of this was happening? So the columnist was now starting to regret this Christmas pageant. And she was like, why did I get my kids into all this religious stuff? It's so violent. But she decided, no, it's part of history. This is, this is the world's biggest religion. This is a thing that people believe. My kids are old enough to learn something here. And so she thought, what can my kids learn from Jesus? And this is finally what she concluded. The whole point of Jesus' story is that suffering is a part of life. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. The best thing you can do is to face it bravely head on. And who knows? Maybe after the worst is over, there's going to be a whole new life waiting for you on the other side of that suffering. A resurrection, if you will. That was her message to the reader as well. You're facing this suffering in your life. You're asking these questions about God. Well, maybe what you can take from God is to boldly face your suffering a little bit like Jesus did. And maybe there'll be new life on the other side. So, I just thought this was a fascinating response because it comes from a person who's not a Christian. The columnist did not believe in God, but she made some really insightful points. In fact, you might say, I think she's partway there. But she was missing something, wasn't she? And here's what she was missing. It was not just the fact that Jesus suffered, but it's the fact that Jesus suffered for us. That's what she was missing. Not just that Jesus suffered, but that he suffered for us. When Jesus became a man, what kind of a man did he become? Isaiah the prophet says he was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. But there was a particular purpose for Jesus' pain. Isaiah also says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. What that columnist was missing was that the nails in Jesus' hands and the crown of thorns on Jesus' head, and the pain and isolation in his soul, as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those things had been suffered for her. Right? Those things had been done in her place. Jesus had gone through all of that suffering to pay the price for her sins, to wash her clean of any wrong things she had ever done, to make her right with her Father in heaven. To open a path for her, if she could only see it. A path to eternal life where there will be no more pain or suffering ever again. 
Jesus did not just endure suffering, he had endured all that suffering for her. And brothers and sisters, Jesus endured all that suffering for you as well. And by God's grace, you see it. By God's grace, you hear it. You listen to what God's word says about your Savior. And that ends up transforming the way that you view all the events in your life. If something causes you suffering, does that mean that it's bad? Not necessarily. If something brings you pleasure, does that mean that it's good? Not necessarily either. Just think about it. Jesus' suffering ended up being immensely good as it brought him close to us and it paid for our sins and it opened the door to eternal life in heaven. God made Jesus' suffering immensely good. Now in his grace, God promises that he will make our suffering immensely good too. So before church, we had our 9 o'clock Bible study, and we are talking about the sinful nature, talking about how deep and pervasive it is, how even as children of God, right, we still have that old part of our heart that just wants to, to do our own thing and be our own God. That sinful nature is very dangerous. But suffering is one of the key ways that that sinful nature that we have gets overcome. Again, just think about this. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And that's what suffering kind of does, doesn't it? It forces you to deny yourself. This is not something that you want to go through. This is not something that you picked. This is not something that you would have chosen. It is not in your control. And so you are forced to put your own desires and control to the side, and you are forced to just wait and see what is it that God wants to do. But that's a good thing. Because in the long term, what God wants to do is he wants to get you to heaven. So in his incredible grace, God will use suffering to remind you that this world is broken and unsatisfying, and this world is never going to be your long-term home. In his grace, God uses suffering to teach you and to teach me to despair of our own plans and our own control and to trust in his plans and control instead. In his grace, God uses suffering to turn your faith from this private inward thing that nobody else really sees to an obvious public thing that can't be missed. Because when you have lost so much, if this ever happens to you that you've lost so much, your faith is about the only thing you have left, that is exactly when your faith is shining more brightly than it ever would otherwise to all the people around you. Bottom line, your suffering is never random. Just like nothing in your life is ever random. God has chosen to pour out a specific cup for you to drink because through that cup, he's going to bless you. What's in your cup is not what's in my cup, and what's in your cup is not in the cup of the person next to you. God has poured you your own cup to drink, and he promises that that is going to be for your good. God promises that. He says in all things, he works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In all things. Even in suffering. Maybe especially in suffering. So it is a totally different way of looking at your world. God has hand-poured for you a specific cup that he wants you to drink. God has hand-carved for you a specific cross that he wants you to carry. 
So pick up that cup and drink it. Pick up that cross and follow him. Because the place where he is leading you is worth it. Here's a story of a highly skilled artist who liked to paint murals with trash. He liked to go into an alleyway where there was garbage and junk all over the ground. There was dirty words and pictures spray painted on the wall. There was mold and mildew, just a dirty, disgusting alley full of junk. And in that alley, this artist would begin to paint. And as he painted, if you stood next to him and looked at what he was doing, it didn't look good at all. All you could see is garbage and junk and mess. But he would paint, and he would paint, and he would start to bring things together. And when the painting was completed, if you walked all the way out of that alley to the street, and then you turned and you looked down that alleyway again, you'd be amazed at what you saw. Because the artist had skillfully blended the textures and the colors, and he had used the trash, and he had used the swear words spray painted on the wall, and he had used the moldy spots, and he had built it into this, like, 3D textured, beautiful landscape that from the perspective of the street looked so beautiful, you couldn't see any of the mess anymore. What you saw was an incredible work of art that could never have been created in any other way. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's going to be like when you go to heaven someday and you look back at your life in this world. It was not perfect. It was not always pretty. Maybe your life was full of a lot of messes and junk and suffering and pain. But from the perspective of eternity, you'll be able to look back and finally see your life for the beautiful work of art that it is. You'll be able to see how God took even the worst, most painful times, maybe especially the most painful times, and he connected them all together to make a beautiful work of art that couldn't have been made in any other way. And here is the work of art. It's a naturally selfish person who's been pulled up out of themselves and connected with their Father in Heaven. It's a picture of a person who didn't get trapped in this temporary world, like so many people get trapped, but who was led to long for the perfect heavenly home that was coming. It's a picture of a person connected to God now for all eternity, and not just that. It's a picture of a person whose particular sufferings were used to equip them to shine light and share encouragement to others who are suffering too. It's a picture that you'll be able to thank God for. So, teddy bear Jesus, no thank you. We'll take the real Savior, sometimes uncomfortable Jesus, but the true and loving Jesus who came into this world and embraced suffering for us, so that now, through our suffering, we might be led to embrace him for eternity. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.